Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're talking about today's digital revolution, all the crazy things that have gone on and added to that over the last several months, and trying to get some insights into what that means, not just for our business lives, but the impact on our personal lives and vice versa, how the changes in our personal lives are extending upward into the business world from locations of where people are working. You know, how many people are going to go back to these giant office towers we used to have? We'll work from home and learning from home and, you know, uh, consuming entertainment from home. How are all these things going to play out? How do businesses jump across the different traditional boundaries they've been in before? What's the right place for them to be in? And are we going to see the reemergence of some powerful um, industries from the past that are going to reassert themselves today? And we're delighted as, uh, as we are each month to have Tony Uphoff, the CEO of Thomas, with us to talk about uh, Uphoff on industry. On industry. And uh, Tony, great to have you. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. Hey, thanks, Bob. Great to see you and uh, always enjoy our conversation. Tony, I, I was wearing black today. What do you think? Is it fetching? It's a new look for you. And I got to be honest with you, I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. Good. Thank you. Thank you. I was a little tense, but uh, okay, we'll do that. Tony, you know, um, and just as a reminder for a lot, a lot of folks know you for people who are coming to the show for the first time, Tony's the CEO of a company that is now into uh, data services. It, it looks at the industrial sector. I, Tony, I'll let you talk about it. But the perspectives that Tony is able then to offer, what's going on in these industrial and manufacturing markets today where the industrial technology and operational technology is starting to really become fused with information technology, providing some wild new capabilities uh, for industries that have been around for, you know, a couple of hundred years. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, 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 and I'd love to talk some about that on our, uh, in our conversation today, Bob, because Thomas has this kind of crazy sweep of history here, 123 years in, uh, as serving as the leading resource for industrial product and supplier selection and sourcing. And obviously today, that's an internet platform, uh, you know, huge data business. Uh, but it gives us this unbelievable window into the industrial economy. So that's one angle of it, but it also gives us a really fascinating understanding of demand around specific products or services. So we can start to see how markets are starting to move. And um, it, 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 it allows us to, um, to understand kind of what's a real trend what's not going to be a real trend, but also, it, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a good topic to discuss, we're actually watching the redefinition, perhaps reimagining of what manufacturing is, certainly in this country, Bob, and, and it's really kind of fascinating to watch what you know, people kind of thought of as this old stodgy, outsourced, offshore business. They're kind of waking up and realizing, oh gosh, right, right under my nose here, Manufacturing in the United States has been kind of redefined as this vibrant, you know, very cool industry that's growing and a lot of dynamism to it. Um, and clearly technology is playing a huge role there. Tony, I want to just uh, uh, digress a little bit for a second here. And uh, I, I'm sorry if what I, this little anecdote is really going to be like five years old, but I'll do my best. I did see on, I think it was LinkedIn, this video of a, it was a conveyor belt. Now, I don't typically spend a whole, whole lot of time thinking about conveyor belts, but this one showed what happens when, you know, you've got uh, pieces coming down the traditional conveyor belt. And then at one point, 
it hits a junction and from the junction it forked off into I think six different directions. So the, the uh, mobility or mobilization pieces in the conveyor belt are the, the tops of little balls that the things roll along. They can read specifically what this piece is all about and then they can direct it instead of just, you know, uh, frictionless down the same path. They can send it here, 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 other places. So these pieces coming on a conveyor belt, they stop and very quickly, you know, take a turn to the right or this way. So, I mean, that's a little really base level thing. I know there's much more interesting stuff going on, but it is going end to end from every facet, right, of how industry, procurement, sourcing, shipping, logistics, it's, it's a wild time. It, it really is, Bob. And I think a lot of the things that, um, you know, I use the term of reimagining or redefining because I think um, it's always fascinating when industries go through a, a period of time where they become something quite different than your uh, perception. And I think it's an important component here because I think what's happening in this dynamism of, of manufacturing is today, you know, if you go down the most valuable companies in the world, right, you look at Apple, you look at Amazon, you look at the most valuable, or at least uh, perhaps the second most valuable car company in the world, Tesla. If you actually look at all these companies, they're manufacturers. And even Google is a manufacturer today. And, and I think a lot of people haven't really stopped to think about this. We have in Tim Cook, as you and I have talked about before, who was on the stage today rolling out you know, the new product suite for, uh, for Apple. He was a genius in supply chain logistics. He came out of the manufacturing industry. That's where G Steve Jobs found him. No one in the Silicon Valley had ever heard of Tim Cook before uh, he was plucked out of compact computer and brought to the Valley to really fuel this. So I think we're seeing this really kind of fascinating understanding of manufacturing. And the reason that I, I find it kind of fascinating is I'm a huge geek of, of things that are happening that are likely going to change other things around it. And so in this context, not just the financial ecosystem that we know of as American manufacturer, which by the way, is a $2.4 trillion industry. So that's gonna grow. You're gonna see a lot of dynamism there. But I think what's starting to happen is it's going to impact regulatory stuff. It's gonna impact trade decisions. It's also gonna over time impact education. I think what you're going to see, Bob, is a return to what maybe when you and I were kids growing up, we used to call trade schools, and and you know that that kind of melding of um, of, of science and and the the art of making things. I think you're going to see a bunch of different things happen as um, we understand how powerful manufacturing is as an economic engine, but also as as a job engine. If anything, as I've shared on your show before. U.S. manufacturing has the opposite problem. There's too many open jobs. We, we can't find enough people. To, and these are great jobs out there. But I think it's, it's fascinating for us. And, and you can tell I'm a, I'm a geek for this. But I, I, I tend to talk about it a lot because I really think the implications of this, not the threat of it, it's all positive, but the implications of this are really profound, not the least of which for tech providers as well. Yeah, and Tony, the, that education element that you mentioned, combined with the fact that there are not enough skilled employees able to fill the jobs that these manufacturing companies have, um, this could probably extend beyond traditional, you know, government schooling, right? With the chance for entrepreneurs to come in and, 
you know, develop this whole new education platform? I think you'll see this this filled by uh, private sector. I, I really do, as as opposed to the, you know, uh, uh, the traditional you know government backed you know schooling infrastructure. And and I think it's slowly but surely starting. And the other thing you're seeing, Bob, is th there's a there's a renaissance in apprenticeships in the U.S. in this area which as you know, has been a huge phenomenon in Europe. If you go to countries like Germany and others, the idea of apprenticeships are, are a big deal and they're, they're hard to get into, they're, they're profound. It's, it's a level of higher education. In the US, it, it kind of in fits and starts and it never really got into the, into the culture in the US. Slowly but surely we're seeing um, that more and more companies are starting to do it. Fascinating um, bit of data from our, our recent uh, COVID-19 impact survey. As you know, we've done four waves of that and what's been the impact on the manufacturing industry. Companies that have invested in apprenticeship programs have fared better than companies that haven't, wow. which is interesting. And we think this is really about, they've been able to fill jobs that were open. And, and, and make sure they could stay you know, with, with good talent coming into their organization. So when the world shut off for a brief period of time, they were less impacted than, than other companies. Well, Tony, if I may, that's on a, when you were talking a few minutes ago about your, you know, what really grabs your attention is things that change or affect other things. So even with something like that, you, you think about the ways in which um, HR, finance, these things traditionally thought of as back office yeah. functions. And, I, you know, what in today's environment and the, that, uh, you know, demand-driven system that you're talking about here, they, they can't get enough people. What could be, you know, higher priority for companies today, more strategic than better ways to find talent, bring it in, nurture it, allow it to blossom to its full value? So I, I, I think what you're describing here is something that's going to have, you know, profound implications, you know, across the board. So I really like your idea there about the, the ripple effects. I, th I think also, Bob, it's interesting. You, you were talking about the, the kind of, for lack of a better expression, automated, you know, um, conveyor belt and, and sort of the, the, the interesting, almost like a Rube Goldberg machine, you know, of how these things operate. If you look at a lot of things that we're starting to see in, uh, in consumer markets, it's not unlike what we saw back in the days of NASA where there was a tech transfer. So I'll, I'll give you a really interesting example. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the iRobot product called the Roomba, which is, a, which is a, a vacuum. It's been around for, gosh, I think close to 20 years now. But a lot of that technology came out of factory floors where they had automated um, ways of going down aisles, dealing around in and around conveyor belts. And it was early sensor-based technology that could sense things and then recalibrate the robot and move it around. A lot of that, that robotic technology has come out of advanced manufacturing. And I will tell you, um, there's a, uh, uh, you know, if you, if you haven't looked at one of these uh, robots in action these days, we just recently got uh, some Roombas uh, for our house out here in California. It is remarkable to see that technology. But again, that came out of manufacturing. And think of the implications now as we start to think of autonomous vehicles and others. A lot of this technology came out of the manufacturing uh, process. And, and one, one last uh, shout out, if, if I can, to the, 
to the manufacturing industry. The, the second in command uh, at, at Amazon for the last 20 plus years is a guy named Wilkie. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, he's, he's about to retire. He's had a tremendous run. And he was hired uh, after Jeff Bezos every year would get you know, overloaded and couldn't fulfill all the orders and it was driving him nuts. And he, he, he went through a succession of execs out of distribution from companies like Walmart and others. He couldn't get it right, couldn't get it right. He hired Wilkie out of manufacturing and he applied a manufacturing process to their fulfillment and distribution and it revolutionized the company. It allowed Amazon to scale into what we know of today. So I think a lot of these kind of manufacturing processes, you know, we're talking about a, a manufacturing guy running Apple today. I think a lot of the skills and the disciplines and the understanding of the advanced technology is, is really starting to be recognized as something that can have an impact in a lot of different areas. Tony, it's a, there's a great story there about the, the Amazon executive and his manufacturing background. I just want to mention that, you know, one of your fellow digital all-stars here on Cloud Wars Live, Wayne Saden, told uh, Bill and me a story the other day that he said uh, there was one point in Wayne's career when he was hired to be the CIO of an armored car company. And he said, you know, great oh, people, man. great ideas, great culture at the company, but they were driven by the belief that they were in the banking industry and that they wanted to be you know a financial service so they were sort of structured that way the language they use some of the stuff he went he said guys he said banking's nice he said manufacturing's pretty nice too he said we're a manufacturing company we, we take we take money from a sort of messy uh all over the place situation and we turn it into some very neat and pinpoint distribution we got to start thinking about being a manufacturing job shop and not you know some executive vice president of retail banking thing yeah so yeah. those those implications of uh you know the mindset are great um tony if i could take a second i want to share a word from our sponsor bmc in a world that's changing faster than ever before the biggest challenge for businesses is creating fabulous customer experiences. That objective requires actionable insights and real-time agility from one end of your business to the other. At BMC, they call this the autonomous digital enterprise, and they've put together a set of solutions to help you anticipate what's coming, adjust accordingly, and acknowledge those changes from end to end. To start your journey to the autonomous digital enterprise, visit bmc.com ADE. So, Tony, in the U.S., at least, and in some ways, American manufacturing, all these sweeping changes that are profound here, we've heard so much about, you know, the changes in supply chains and outsourcing and so forth. What's your take on what's going on now in the U.S. with outsourcing, insourcing, offshoring, yeah. reshoring? Yeah. What's the state of the union here? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Bob, you're, you, you, you have heard me use the expression reshoring and many of your listeners are probably starting to hear more about it. Um, I am not exaggerating at all when I tell you this is the single biggest opportunity American manufacturing has seen in 70 years. And that means that no executive that's currently running a manufacturing business has ever seen a market opportunity like this. And it is going to be remarkable what, what ultimately transpires here. At a base level, reshoring is exactly what it sounds like. I, I offshored manufacturing. Perhaps I thought, okay, I could produce this, this, uh, this, this widget or product at a dollar, and in the US it would cost me $3. So years ago, I, I offshored that. 
Over the last decade, we've seen a slow but steady, and it's been increasing in the last several years, increase in reshoring for a lot of different reasons. Most people think it's political in nature. There's actually just hard dollars and cents and quality behind it. The pandemic has dramatically, and I mean dramatically, scaled reshoring for two reasons. One is some supply chains, if not many, were classically disrupted and people realizing, I can't deal with this. I've got to figure out a different model here. You also have some industries that literally were shut down like the airline industry. And so their whole supply chain was, was disrupted. But you also realize that it's a wake up call for many other companies to say, gosh, you know, I didn't get disrupted, but maybe it's time. That's, that's a pretty spooky experience. I need to reevaluate my supply chain. And what's happened, Bob, as a result of this, when you climb up underneath reshoring, now suddenly you start to get into things that you and I would remember and have talked about in, on your show before, total cost of ownership, where suddenly it's like, hey, was that, is that really a dollar? <laughs> the manufacturer over there, or by the time it sits in the warehouse, by the time it ships across to where I need it, and then I have to pay to have it trucked or trained to the different outlets of my customers here, is it really closer to two and a half or maybe even $3? And, you know, there's nothing new about TCO. I, I think there's a, a complete revisiting, if you will, of the underlying mathematical assumptions about the whole, what drove offshoring. The other thing to bear in mind here too, is this is not reshoring your grandfather's manufacturing facility, nor is it reshoring some rickety manufacturing process in a country that hasn't invested in advanced manufacturing. This would be very modern advanced manufacturing as companies are bringing this back. So a huge financial opportunity for American manufacturers and it exacerbates the skill shortage that we, we touched on earlier. But that's, this is a big, big, big opportunity. It is also um, not as easy as it sounds. Simply pulling a supply chain back from another uh, country and saying, well, I'm just gonna do this in the US. I'll go on to thomasnet.com, pick a new supplier sign an agreement, and boom, I'm off to the races. I, I think that's, um, it, it's not quite that simple. So, you know, I think huge opportunity. Um, it's, it's causing a very positive impact on the industry. There's a but coming here though. Um, American manufacturers, if anything, need to accept their adoption of technology that's gonna enable some of this. It's also accelerating the digital transformation of some of the other aspects of their business, like sales and marketing, that they've been slow in some cases to, to do. Um, but boy, I, you know, this is one of those, if, if you were betting stocks, double down on what's gonna happen in manufacturing, barring certain sectors like aerospace, that's gonna have, a, a, you know, next couple of years are gonna be kind of tough, but it's really a, just a remarkable time and I think you're going to be hearing more and more about this idea of reshoring, you know, in the general media, you know, the general business media is going to talk about it. And I think even from the government, you're not going to hear a lot about tariffs anymore. You're going to hear a lot about reshoring. And, and it, it, you know, it is, it is one of the, um, if, if you go back, Bob, I think it was this month that 50 years ago, Friedman wrote his famous paper that created a, um, one might say rather, uh, one-dimensional view of capitalism. And I'm not making the case or, or not making the case, but what it did is it unleashed 50 years of publicly traded companies looking at the world um, almost exclusively through the eyes of, of the return to shareholders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
There's some benefits that came with that, but there was also some damage that came with that. One of the things that you saw is a lot of companies as a result of that, I'm not blaming Thomas Friedman for this, but a lot of companies ended up outsourcing or offshoring manufacturing because on paper initially, it allowed them to drop more to the bottom line. Yeah. What was un, uh, Friedman couldn't have predicted it either. What people didn't understand was the opportunity cost that you were giving up. And that opportunity cost was, was enormous in terms of a skilled workforce, your comp uh, competitive advantage, controlling your own supply chains, uh, foreign competition. There was a lot of things that came from that that, that, were, that were really kind of difficult. So I think if you've been in manufacturing, you've figured out how to get on the right side of that over those 50 years. And so that's not to say the market hasn't been vibrant. It's been actually very, very good over the last you know, 20 years or so. I think this, however, is literally an accelerant, the likes of which I, I don't know that the, you know, other than perhaps post-war, you know, or, or even during the war years yeah. that you've ever seen anything quite like it as a stimulant to this part of the market. Um, Tony, again, it's fascinating. And uh, I, I think one of the big points that, you know, uh, undergirds your whole perspective on this is one that you talked about a little bit earlier, which is, you know, be very aware these days of those things that change other things. It's yeah. not just sort of a one dimensional piece, you know, uh, so reshoring implies this, which uh, you know, implies that which triggers this and causes something else. And meanwhile, for a lot of those manufacturing companies, their customers are going through a lot of different changes about what they want, what they need, what they expect, what they require. So uh, really, really a fascinating time. And I think for anybody, regardless of the industry you're in, I, I thought that um, uh, it was August 25th when Salesforce had its uh, quarterly earnings call. And when I first wrote about it, Tony, I, I referred to it as a, a high-level global strategy discussion masquerading as an earnings call. Uh, and one of the things that Mark Benioff said in this was he said, we are a profoundly different company than we were six months ago. And to the best of my knowledge, Salesforce does not manufacture any physical goods, but he talked about supply chains, operations, culture, the flow of work, the type of people we hire, the motivations we set, how people are managed, how they are throwing off some layers of management. And it, it was wild. So if company in an industry like enterprise software that probably moves as fast or faster than most other industries says that, you know, we're profoundly different now. I think that that sort of sets a marker for every type of business. And I'm not saying they're better worse. It's just the speed at which they're yeah. accustomed to moving. And he said that the biggest thing now that Salesforce's customers come to him as the CEO and ask for is the gift of speed, you know, help us move as fast as this crazy world around us. So, yeah. Uh, this this massive opportunity you're describing and all the implications that are going to be triggered by that. It what a wild time, you know, to be in that business that Thomas is in. Yeah, and, and Bob, to your point, it, it's fascinating. I I think what we're seeing, and you've heard me and and others use the expression industry 4.0, which for your listeners is a lot of different definitions of it, but but fundamentally, it is the convergence of advanced digital technologies right? And, and in many cases, cloud plays a huge role in that with traditional manufacturing products and services. So what it's doing is it's speeding up both the time it takes to manufacture, but the business models within manufacturing and also the delivery, 
right? Mm -hmm. To and with customers. So I think what Mark Benioff, you know, boy, has this guy turned out to be, uh, you know, quite a visionary. The speed with which we can now move in manufacturing and serve customers differently than we used to, you know, is really just remarkable. You know, we've had just-in-time manufacturing for a while, but we're now stepping into manufacturing as a service and all these different kinds of models, which are, you know, enabling so much more speed. We're creating um, multiple factories and smaller with advanced technology and locating them near customers so that we can shorten the cycle of getting products and services produced for those types of customers. And again, you know, it, it, it makes me realize, you know, as technology always does, as software moves quickly to serve customers, and Benioff has been one of the leaders in, in adapting to that, I think the same thing's actually happening in manufacturing, Bob. You know, firsthand, and I, I wonder if uh, it sounds like you've got a new program at Thomas where you're asking some people to share their stories. That sounds like fun. Yeah, Bob, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So the, 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 one of the primary experiences, you know, happens uh, 1.5 to 1.6 million times a month is an engineer or a procurement professional or what's called an MRO will go on to thomasnet.com sourcing products and evaluating suppliers. And we have, gosh, I think it's close to half a million suppliers on the platform and there's several million products on, on the platform. And one of the things is we were doing more surveys and, and engagement and recording the process of buyers using the platform. We started to hear buyers say, hey, I'd, I'd like to know more about the supplier. And you know, the days of doing a factory tour, which you used to do, boy, I'm gonna fly out to you know, State X and I'm gonna meet with you know, Bob Evans, you know, LLC, and I'm gonna walk through the factory and you know, that kind of stuff. Those days, certainly right now, don't happen, but that, that doesn't happen nearly as much over the last several years as it used to, but that doesn't mean they don't want to see your story. Yeah. We started yeah. to get literally the expression, I want to see their story. And so we were actually contacted by the same uh, uh, video company that works with the real estate platform Zillow. And when I say video company, it's a clever entrepreneur that uh, brought together vetted videographers in each of the regions. So if you've ever been on Zillow, you see a classic template, you know, it's a drone flyover video walkthrough. And if the broker wants that added to the profile of a house that they're marketing on the platform. So we looked at this and that call came at the time we were getting this feedback from users, buyers. And so we thought, what a great idea. So we, we had planned to launch it uh, March, 14th, I believe it was, which you might remember was an interesting time in yeah. our recent history, yeah. but we had prepared for it. So we decided to do it. This has taken off like you can't believe on both sides. So huge customer uptake, uh, customers of ours saying, hey, I want that video service and I want to add it. But the usage of watching the buyer interact with video is a part of the way they think about evaluating and understand. And bear in mind something that you know well, Bob, most of your listeners would too. In the average B2B sales process, 70% of the purchase decision is made before a buyer engages with a sales rep today, uh -huh. the impact of the internet. So now this video comes in and as you and I were, were, were riffing around before we went on air today, I, I, I'm not a big fan of calling the tipping point, but I think in a very traditional process where you have hardcore industrial buyers and procurement professionals that are betting their career on suppliers start to request video 
this is a clear signal that video's time has come. <laughs> and I, I do think, you know, yeah. part of this is we're, yeah, I, I don't know how to even describe the era we're living in, but clearly video, look what we're doing right now. Video is going to play a unique role. But, but I think that's only part of the story of why this has been successful. I think this would have been very successful regardless of the pandemic. Had that not happened, I think you'd still see the same uh, uptake between buyer and seller there. Wow. No, that, Tony, it's fascinating. And it, it, it brings a little bit of a, a personal, in some way, touch to things or a tangible touch to what's going on. And also, I think it, it, it breaks down further that, that uh, old-fashioned view of we got the builder or seller over here and the builder or seller has all the information. The buyer's over here trying to look into a closed system and figure out what's going on, what's the cost, what should I pay? And that more and more, right, it, you know, uh, I, I think you had a line a few episodes back where you said, it's a tricky situation when your customer knows more about your products than your salespeople do. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting. Certainly, we've taken this philosophy at, at Thomas, you know, 123-year-old company. And we have, um, you know, a, a very proud history of a, of, a, of a rep organization that we now call Certified Thomas Partners. And if you go back in history, Thomas was just like most companies. They would train the sales rep and give the sales rep all the information. And then the sales rep would go to the customer or prospect. And that's how the, the quote-unquote deal would go down. And over the last several years, what we've done is go direct to prospects and customers with very clear, in many cases, in our case, that video and understanding, let the customer get familiar with it and then pull it through the channel and, and allow salespeople to do what really they do best, which is not configure products or put together product positioning, but to understand customer needs and make sure that they can solve those customer needs. And, and I will tell you, Bob, in our case, it has been remarkable early on. Some of these proud reps were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I no, I'll slow down there. I'm going to take that to the customer. But what's happened, and I'm digesting a, you know, a couple of years of, of effort there. Not only did, did they now see the impact of it, they're, they're pushing us to do more of it. You know, they're like, hey, you know, when was the last time we, we did a new video on such and such product or service? And I think you're touching on something that is, is um, is, is a really profound shift and maybe a, a follow-up conversation in a, in a subsequent episode of this, you know, what does it mean to go direct today? Yeah. And what's the role of selling and going direct? If, if we're going marketing with a capital M first, then how does that work today? And, and are companies, you know, really managing that well? Because it, it, it can be very tricky. And at the end of the day, no one rep can ever know as much as an individual customer does. You just look at the, the, the game's been changed. Well, Tony, you've, uh, I think you said you've deployed a Thomas and notion instead of a quote to cash, it's uh, interest to invoice. Correct. So if the salesperson sees that this new type of video service helps to shorten or accelerate uh, interest to invoice, that's going to be the salesperson's best friend. But the, yeah. the first, right, the cultural thing is, no, 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 no. I, you know, I don't need, that's my job. And, you know. Only I can. Well, I did have to, to expend a little uh, personal capital of the, I did have to invoke the trust me. <laughs> when I first started down this path, because I think some of the reps were like, uh, yeah, I got your, your invoice. <laughs> you know, forget it, buddy. You know, but uh, thankfully over time, they were able to see very quickly. And I think what you and I are describing is 
a, you know, a, a cultural change that, that, that follows a technological change. The technological change yeah. to market directly through digital means to customers has been around for you know, 15 years, and that gets more advanced every year. But understanding how do we, how do we sell in alignment with that? Boy, I think, I, think, I think we're still learning our way. And again, that's probably a topic for, a, for another time, but um, it, it's one that I think a lot of companies are, are still trying to figure out. Tony, this has been fascinating today. You know, you romp through uh, reimagined manufacturing to the incredible potential of reshoring to the, the video connection here. Very cool. Do you have a final thought or any, we want to tie these together? Well, I think, you know, as, as always, Bob, I think we are, uh, we are incredibly fortunate, which sounds funny to say during some of the challenging times that we're living through, but I think we're incredibly fortunate to be involved in these businesses at a time where technology is advancing so, so fast. But at the same point in time, it's more accessible and it's more affordable than it's ever been. And, and I think, you know, you and I um, were involved with technology businesses early on where a lot of it was promise and a lot of it was big, huge expense. And boy, people would lose their career if that expense didn't pan out one way or the other. Today, these technologies are so flexible and so uh, astounding of what they can enable us to do. So a lot of the things that we've been talking about, the undercurrent of all of this is um, the, the, it, the remarkable pace of change in technology that's enabling this. And, and I don't want to just say cheaper, faster, better, but, but I think how, how uh, these technologies can make all of our companies so much more agile and we can move so much quicker to your point of, of the Salesforce uh, earnings call. So, so I guess if I was to wrap it all together, while these seem like either economic phenomenons or trade phenomenons or cultural phenomenons, the driver here is technology, make no mistake about it. You know, what, what's allowing manufacturing to reshore is advanced technology. It's not just the fact that, oh, my supply chain broke down. We wouldn't be doing it if those advanced technologies didn't enable us to be able to do it. I'll tell you, that's a great summary and overview. And um, I just want to say before we close here on a personal note, I, one area of technology that I've been very grateful for and interested in over the last you know, several months has been uh, medical technology because my older daughter, the next time you and I get together here and talk, will have delivered a, a little girl into this world. And uh, having to see a doctor you know, in the, over these last yeah. six months and, you know, through a thing like childbirth, but she's completely calm for, you know, she and her husband, they think it's fantastic. They, they feel uh, fully taken care of it all. So that, that March of technology is extraordinary. And then we see how it touches all of our lives yeah. in some yeah. unique traditional, as well as new and innovative ways. So hey, I can't uh, wait you can call me Gramps. I was going to say, I can't wait to officially call you Grandpa Bob. <laughs> So that's uh, all right. Yeah. Now, let me, let me just ask if we got another second. Are you going to go? Are you going to be Boompa? Are you going to be G-Pa? Are you going to be Grandpa? Are you going to yeah. be G-Bob? How, have, have you thought this through yet? There are uh, there are a lot of ways. I, I think about this. I was laughing with my daughter and her husband the other day because I said, I know ultimately I will I will <laughs> gladly take what the little darling dishes out you know that's <laughs> I, I don't have a big choice in that but ultimately i think I, I would my vote would go to granddad with a close second to grandpa i like it i like it all but right it might might come out bob maybe yeah. i'll be g bob yeah 
Well, congrats, my friend. Thank That's you. Deal. My best to your daughter and uh, son-in-law as well. Tony, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Always great seeing you here. Uh, Tony, we look forward to seeing you next month. Uh, we are honored to be able to have this forum to share some wonderful ideas with you via Tony and our other digital all-stars. We thank you for your time. Hope things are going well for all of you. And when I see all of you next month, I'll be a grandfather for you too as well. How about that? Thanks, everybody.